Welcome back to Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. I'm David Brown, Pinnacle Associate and Pastor of The Welcome Table in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I always think the name of your church is so cool. I just want to come sometime. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll make an appearance there one day. Come anytime. Well, <laughs> I'm Rhonda Blevins. I'm a Pinnacle Associate as well and Pastor of Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida. We are recording this episode on May the 11th in the year of our Lord, 2022. And today we welcome our Pinnacle Associate, our wonderful colleague, Marcy Wilson-Bogg. She's the Operations Coordinator for Pinnacle Leadership Associates. Thank you. It's fantastic to be here. I really, really think that this podcast is so necessary. Uh, And you talk about such great things, so... I'm glad. It's a privilege to be here. I'm going to give a little bio on Marcy, and then she may add some things into this. So uh, Marcy is a project manager and a social media marketer, and uh, she had a lot of experience in the realm of communications and technology and uh, brings that with her to the, the ministry life, the pastor life, and to her role with Pinnacle Leadership. And she is a 2020 graduate uh, of Central Seminary in Shawnee, Kansas, and was a part of the Women's Leadership Initiative there. Um, She is, as Rhonda mentioned, our operations coordinator at Pinnacle and has really helped us with a number of processes related to kind of internal things, but also in how we tell our story in the world. And so we look forward to the ways that Marcy is going to teach us something we don't know about uh, church communication and technology. Yeah, she's really brought some unique skill sets to our Pinnacle team, and I'm not sure where we would be without her. So thankful to have Marcy here on the podcast today. So let's welcome Reverend. Are you Reverend? Not yet. I'm in the process. Almost Reverend. Almost oh, yeah, reverend. we should. Almost that should reverend. be her title. Almost Reverend. Marcy almost Bob. Reverend Marcy almost Wilson reverend. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, and also Marcy. True, true confession here. Um, I spent 10 years uh, at a Silicon Valley startup, uh, Sun Microsystems. So oh. that was my foray into technology very early. And that's how I became a project manager. So, you know, coming into a seminary background, it really gave me the perspective of seeing how the church is running things versus how, you know, high tech, how on the cutting edge they were of technology and seeing, especially with Pinnacle, so many different churches and being able to look at the trends, you know, being able to see. And I think it, even at the beginning of 2020, a lot of people were saying about technology, oh yeah, that's a nice to have, but uh, the pandemic changed everything very rapidly. Yeah, because most uh, churches have always been on the cutting edge of technology, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, their favorite phrase, this is the way we've always done things. (laughs) Right, right. Well, I would think, I I was gonna say, I would think that would, that contrast, or, or maybe there's some complementariness between those, those two kind of pathways that you have have taken in your career and vocation. I'd just be interested in hearing you talk a little bit about that. What brought you down this road that ended up in the pathway toward ordination and church ministry and work with Pinnacle? 
it's kind of a long winding story as they all are. Um, I had actually, um, Sun was bought, Sun Microsystems was bought by Oracle Corporation. And uh, it was completed in 2010. About that time, my husband and I had moved from Colorado to Nashville, Tennessee, where we live now. And my husband is an audio engineer in the music industry. Mm. So he very quickly, you know, just got busy here in Nashville. And uh, I was laid off. My whole department was laid off when uh, the Sun merger happened. And so I became a contractor and started to going to different companies and things like that. My father was a pastor, a Baptist, independent Baptist. (laughs) And so, you know, I had always kind of thought, ah, ministry, hmm, not sure. And uh, the pastor of the church where I had been attending, uh, a Lutheran church, told me about the Women's Leadership Initiative. And it was a fantastic concept. It was four years. I was in a cohort of 10 women, and we basically... Uh, took two classes a semester and really talked about leadership uh, as it refers to a really ecumenical setting. Mm. So not all the women, even though Central Seminary uh, is basically a Baptist background, we had a Church of Christ lady, we had a Church of God person, we had me as the Lutheran. We had a lot of different faiths in this cohort, and it was a great learning experience. And so it gave me sort of a new perspective on uh, how churches in general work and, you know, the context of where I was. So that is actually how Pinnacle came into the picture. Uh, I did internship uh, for my master's degree at Pinnacle. And, uh, and it was really interesting. You guys, uh, I met you two in person in 2020 in February Right. One month before everything closed down. (laughs) So it was just so surreal when that was happening because, yeah, you know, here we were like, yeah, we're ready to grow. This is great. This is, you know, uh, we're getting together. We had we had just a wonderful retreat in Charleston, Isle of Palm and all kinds of plans for the future. And then all of a sudden, a month later, oh, everything shuts down. And every you know, we were in uncharted territory immediately. So, yeah. Uh, Well, that kind of leads me to maybe my first question for you. You're going to talk to us today about church communications. And uh, well, how have you seen, you know, that kind of landscape change as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, uh, it's been really interesting. I believe that uh, technology for many churches prior to the pandemic was a nice to have. Uh, I'll give you an example. The church that I was attending had installed two beautiful screens and projectors at the front of the church, but the pastor didn't want to use them. And it was uncomfortable. It was sort of, oh, we don't have someone to run this full time. We don't have a dedicated AV person, so we can't do it. Well, all of a sudden, we went to Zoom and we had to have slides. And so the slides were being used for the services every week. So this nice to have immediately became a must-have to keep things going. And so we were a Zoom church. A lot of people went to YouTube. A lot of people went to a technology called Mevo. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people did their services just, you know, uh, live streamed in front of an empty sanctuary. So a lot of things changed, but all these nice-to-haves technologically became must-haves. Hmm. And so um, it put a lot of pressure on churches that did not have someone uh, who was tech tech savvy 
I heard from several people, there was a lot of stress and a lot of very quickly learning, you know, things that they didn't know about how to connect online. But I think that we were heading in that direction already. I think the pandemic, uh, like so many other things, it really accelerated the requirements. Uh, What's really cool, though, about that is when we returned to meeting in person, uh, which was like last spring uh, at our church, we started using the slides. And so now the projectors are being used every week. And it's just a given that there's going to be slides up there, you know, in every service. I think a lot of other churches um, have continued their live stream, even though they have in person. So uh, Mark Tidsworth has referred to this a couple of times as your satellite church. Yeah. So you've got your online congregation and then you've got your congregation in person. And that has changed the landscape, you know, of how churches meet, which I think is is exciting, but also a little bit scary for some churches. I think clearly churches were forced to adapt, like you said, and the the things that were nice to have that became the the requirements, the just the the necessary things to stay connected as worshiping communities. We learned things that we never thought we would need to learn, and we did things that we never thought we would do, and now we're sort of emerging, maybe from a really kind of quarantined church. And I I wonder what are the tools that you feel like churches need, or maybe even tools and conversations that churches need to be having to, to really learn something from what we've experienced in the pandemic and move it forward when it comes to communication technology. Well, I think we've come down to um, three must haves. Uh, One, a church must have a website. That's the front door, as we, you know, say at Pinnacle. That's uh, right. Rhonda has done an amazing job with so many churches doing their websites. And, our, you know, we revamped our website at our church. Uh, there's lots of free uh, companies that you can use uh, to do that. But it's so important. I mean, it's become a requirement. Uh, secondarily, uh, some sort of social media presence. And I think that depends on your church. Because we uh, we had a very strong group on Facebook before the pandemic started. And all of a sudden, that Facebook group became crucial. I've heard of some other churches, though, that everyone uses Instagram. And so it's all Instagram or it's all Twitter. And those accounts, though, that presence has become the second most important thing. The third most important thing that I still don't think all churches are getting is a weekly email. Hmm. Weekly e-news is so important because you can really go into detail, uh, announcements, upcoming events, things that people need to know. Email marketing is is huge. It was huge before, but it's even more crucial uh, than it was before. So a website, a social media presence, and an email marketing uh, is is critical. I mean, I would say those three should be where you start. <laughs> As far as, you know, communications go, larger churches uh, naturally have been better at this to begin with, and they've expanded. Smaller churches are starting to realize they have to catch up. But uh, fortunately for them, though, Pinnacle has some uh, some great resources. We've got people who can help you with that. Pinlead.com, P-I-N-N lead.com has lots of resources. You can reach out to us uh, and we are here to help. 
What would you say about print uh, pieces? Like, you know, every church used to have a printed newsletter and they'd mail it out once a month or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Completely passe now. Do you find any purpose for a print newsletter? We have uh, weekly bulletins that we still give out uh, to congregants uh, a whole lot less than we used to print. And we do have a newsletter, but our newsletter went online. So we print, I think our newsletter, we print maybe 10 or 15 copies but most of it is a PDF yeah. uh, that's actually linked to the website that people can get to. I think newsletters are still valuable, especially from a bigger perspective. You know, like uh, one of the things that our newsletter has is uh, council meeting minutes, you know, or here's updates on the building, things, you know, things that are related in those ways. But having it in a PDF and in, in an electronic format has been one, just saving a lot of paper, but two, uh, also important for a lot of younger people to access because they have no interest in the printed. (laughs) But if you have people in your church that are in their seventies or eighties, they will go in and look for it. You know, they'll say, you know, we, we want to take something home. We want something in our hands. So yeah, you really have to think about your congregation and, and what their, what their preferences are. And, you know, uh, trying to make them comfortable also, because, you know, I think just coming back and getting used to the new normal, if there is such a thing, uh, has been tough. So I, I, you know, when we came back, I sort of resurrected the idea of bulletins because I thought people want something in their hands. The other thing that we do, uh, that we don't put online, but we put in our bulletin is an insert for prayer requests. Hmm. So there's a privacy factor there. Maybe not everybody wants their stuff online, you know, if someone is put on the prayer list, but uh, our church actually uh, says everyone's name in the middle of the service as they do the prayers. So it's a really special thing that they want to see, but it's not necessarily something that's appropriate to go online. I remember at a, a previous church where I served, we shifted from a weekly printed you know, hundreds of copies printed and folded and mailed of a newsletter to a monthly that really tried to be a, a, a richer, more colorful storytelling kind of piece. And it really was sent out as a PDF as well, but there were some people who still received the hard copies. And then the the weekly announcements and things like that became a bulletin insert and an email. And mm-hmm. I, I just think one of the things that I'm interested in, in hearing your perspective on is coordination of all of those pieces. And, you know, I think most businesses probably have a communication plan. You know, they have an intentional strategy and each of those media that are used, there's some coordination to those. And I feel like churches would, would probably be well served to learn from that and how you coordinate messaging across platforms and things like that. How would you, are there some tips you would give or some places to start when it comes to messaging and using those different media and being coordinated about it? Yes. One of the things that we came up with, uh, we found out at our church that there are a couple of nonprofits that will give you access to a Google workgroup account for free. Hmm. So depending, in fact, I, I have to do a little research on that, but um, if you want to contact Pinnacle, I can find out what that is, but there are a couple of nonprofits will give churches access to Google workspace. Hmm. Um, what we did for Google workspace 
was we actually got Drive, Google Drive, where all of our documents for each week are held. So mm. our bulletins, our lectures, our uh, worship plan that we do, anything that we use for each service has a file for each week. And everyone who has access in the office, the music minister, the admin, the pastor, any of those persons can access that and make changes or updates before Sunday. So really, it really helps you to put your team together uh, with giving a group access to something. There's also um, Slack and a couple of other apps for nonprofits, uh, GroupMe. There's some group chat uh, types of things. Uh, at, um, at Pinnacle, we use Basecamp, for instance, uh, which is a shared platform. But these sharing platforms are so valuable because that gives you one version of the documents that you need. Mm-hmm. And everyone's working from the same copy instead of attaching it to emails and going back and forth and losing things. There's a lot of really great resources for sharing and, and group documentation. Uh, you just have to be careful with security for that because, um, you know, naturally, unfortunately, I have discovered this too over the past year. Churches are very specifically targeted by scammers and phishing schemes. And churches, especially if they have older members, uh, they'll get weird emails that they have no idea where they came from or why. Um, if you have a .org, uh, you know, uh, website, sometimes they'll you, you'll get strange emails or people can get. So you really have to be mindful of of security and making sure things are secure. But those group uh, abilities to access those types of, of files are so important to keep everyone on the same page. Um, we use that for Holy Week uh, this year also. And being able to have everybody see those files that they need to see, uh, you know, all the announcements, all the groups, you know, the ladies groups, the men's groups, when they want to, you know, add something to what needs to be, you know, announced. So those things are really, and they also give people the ability to feel like they're plugged in, uh, especially your volunteers. Because uh, it's terrible when you go to a church and you still feel like you're on the outside and you don't really have an idea what's going on. But uh, group sharing apps are really good for that. So, One of the things, well, one of the adaptations that restaurants made during the pandemic, um, instead of handing out menus, there would be a QR code and you would scan it and open up the menu. Probably a lot of our listeners had to do that or maybe still doing that in some restaurants. Uh, one of the things we've toyed with at my church is getting rid of most print bulletins and inviting people to scan the QR code that's, you know, kind of maybe down in the little pew rack or whatever in front of them. Uh, what have you seen by way of QR codes? How have you seen that used for churches? And what do you think about that? I have seen QR codes used a lot for donations and for giving. So there are um, organizations like Thrivent or Simply Giving or Tithely. Uh, those types of organizations can give you a QR code uh, for donations specifically uh, that get you to sites. There's also text giving where, you know, you just get your own phone number, your 10 digit, you know, it looks like a regular phone number. All you do is text um, give to that number and they come back and give you the ability to, uh, to put your information in, you know, make a donation by text. So I've seen QR codes mostly used uh, more in the donations realm, uh-huh. but uh, I think 
to be able to replace a bulletin, I think that's a great idea. And, you know, and most people know how to scan things. Uh, a lot more things are going to mobiles. Uh, I've seen some really big churches have their own apps, mm-hmm. uh, mobile yeah. apps, which I just find amazing. <laughs> but, you know, that requires a lot bigger budget than most churches, you know, are able to afford. So, <laughs> Rhonda, we at this was actually pre-welcome table, maybe proto-welcome table. Uh, <laughs> we, Sarah and I, hosted a few... I guess you would call them worship gatherings in our home. And it it sort of began some of the conversations that led to what eventually became the welcome table. And we would share a meal together around tables and then would share in a time of worship together around the tables or in our living room or however it kind of shaped out. And we actually would have the order of worship and some song lyrics and common scriptures or prayers or things that would be texted out to people um, who were there. And then we used it from, from our phone because we were literally gathering in a home where there's not a screen or a projector or anything like that. So it's not something that we really held on to as we you know moved into borrowed spaces and ultimately into a more semi-permanent space. But I do think just the, the creativity and thinking about how you might use technology in ways that meet people's needs and are faithful ways of stewarding resources. You know, I'm just really intrigued by that. Also more planet friendly, saving paper. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, with supply chain issues, paper is one of the things that is, is really, you know, kind of becoming hard to find right now. And so, this may be a, a really good time to adapt in that way for folks that are willing to give it a go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, people are starting to write books uh, about the the technology used in churches. I know uh, when I was doing my, my MDiv capstone project, um, we came up with a couple of books um, uh, or I was able to find several that are leaning in the directions of, uh, sharing the good news in new ways mm-hmm. using technology or things that that hadn't been uh, it really hadn't been utilized before. Well, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, what we've been talking about is mostly internal communications, but what about external communications? Sort of using technology by way of getting the word out, evangelism, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, marketing. I mean, I think that churches are notoriously bad at marketing, unfortunately, especially, I think uh, evangelistic churches are a little better. I think they're the mainline denominations are not quite as good, just because of funding issues. Uh, Some of it is the knowledge of technology. But uh, email marketing is a very big tool uh, that churches can use. Getting people on your email list so that you can send them information is, is a huge way to get your your information out there and to to expand your ministry. Technology is, for those reasons, a lot less expensive. Think about the ways that we used to do things even five or six years ago. I remember doing um, a marketing campaign where we did sort of a, a six by eight um, postcard and mailed it, you know, using the post office system, like uh, they called it every door direct mail. And so it was still several hundred dollars just to get those those postcards out into the neighborhood that, that we were trying to focus on. 
Well, now you've got tools like nextdoor.com that have your neighborhood specifically. And you get somebody who lives in that neighborhood. They can do, they can put information about events, lots of community, you know, uh, announcements, anything that your church is doing that's open to everyone. Nextdoor.com is a great resource for that because it puts you in the local area, which is really, you know, where you're trying to focus. Yeah, I think that idea of how do we better tell our story of what God is doing in our midst and in our community and invite other people to come alongside us in that journey. There are so many more avenues for telling that story in the wider world. And I think people are, I mean, whether people are more open to it or not, there are ways to put the message out there. I wonder if you have ideas, you know, next door obviously might be one of them, but are there other Mm -hmm. ways of helping a message get noticed out in the virtual world? Well, uh, some organizations are using Google ads a little more than we did before. Uh, and Facebook ads. Yeah. Facebook ads are surprisingly less expensive than you would think. For $20, you can reach probably like 100,000 people. And you can also narrow it to uh, specific interests, for instance, on, on Facebook is, is that option. So it's a lot less expensive with a lot wider net, you know, cast for those types of things. Um, Google ads is also uh, extremely targeted. You can bring it down to a very narrow margin. Like for instance, if you wanted to say, I'm only sending to Methodist churches in this area, it really lets you narrow to a Hmm. very uh, small margin or very large margin, depending on who you're trying to reach. But uh, those types of ads are getting more popular and there's, and they're more out there. Yeah. I've done a few Facebook ads for either different groups that I'm a part of or our congregation. It's something I've thought about with our pastor life podcast. Um, and I probably just need to dive a little further into that. They did seem very affordable and the, the metrics that they show you, you know, show that you were put in front of a number of people, uh, mm-hmm. I've only had a few of those that have turned into kind of a personal connection or somebody showing up at an event, but I probably could just learn more and do that more effectively. So it's probably something that yeah, I, and, I need and to, that's, to do. There is a learning curve involved in that, which is, you know, it's a little bit difficult uh, to get, to get used to, but, uh, and there are also different levels of engagement. So they have what are called impressions where you've gotten your message in front of a certain number of people and then click through is where they actually clicked to get to the next place. Right. So yeah, right. a lot of that uh, varies, you know, depending on, depending on how focused or targeted, you know, you are with your message. But the other thing that was really interesting about um, thinking about technology in, in the religious context is that, you know, we came from a source of print, you know, the scriptures, in print changed our world in the 1500s, you know, to now. And scriptures are a huge part of what we do. But when you think about how most people engage in the world right now, it's video, it's podcasts, it's, there's, you know, there's very much a media context to how, well, anyone under 25 relates to the world you know, they're looking at their phone. (laughs) Mm. It's just a natural progression. So coming from a place where 
text was our most important thing, changing that context and realizing that our message is going to have to be media focused. It really makes you rethink how creative that you need to get in, in leading your communities to, you know, a missional context. I think there's something to be said for picking one, two, maybe up to three social media sites and going all in on those three, because there's, you know, there's dozens out there. I mean, so my church, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube. Uh, YouTube is our primary because of live streaming and whatnot, but we also live stream on Facebook. So, um, and then we have an Insta account. We have a kind of unused Twitter account. Uh, somebody was like, we really need to get on TikTok. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, we could just spend so much money and time trying to engage on all these platforms. How many social media presence would you recommend? I would say you, really you are completely on point. You need to be aware of what your church engages with and stick to that. So if nobody in your church was really interested in seeing your church content on TikTok, then it's just another, it's just another distraction. So if you have a Facebook group that's already dedicated, uh, focus on what's already there. Uh, and then you can so build there. I'm sorry. So uh, you're, you're kind of saying use your social media to connect internally with the people you already have engaged in your congregation. Mm -hmm. what, what do you say about using social, social media to connect externally? I would say that is more linked to your website and your, and your email marketing. But uh, yeah, or nextdoor.com. Those would be more for the external, for getting outside your church walls and engaging the community. You have to use those types of apps like Nextdoor. Or, you know, sometimes you're, depending on your city or township, you've got abilities to see what's, you know, where there are forums that you can put announcements, you know, or places like that. Uh, we have something in Nashville called the Nashville Scene, and it's a local magazine, but it also has an online site where you can, you can upload announcements. There are places, uh, not as easy to find, but there are places that you can you know, do outreach. But yeah, it takes a little, uh, it takes a little intentional uh, seeking to find those things. <laughs> it's hard for me to talk about it too, because it's so localized. You know, the World Wide Web is huge, but it's huge. And that's, you know, that's where churches feel overwhelmed because you can think globally, but definitely uh, from the perspective of social media and email marketing, act locally. And it seems like to me that part of what you're saying, and also maybe part of what I'm hearing, Rhonda, in some of your comments is that so much of how we communicate internally or out into the world, into our communities, has to come from a place that is aligned with our identity and our mission. And so if, if churches are not clear on their identity, or they're not clear on their mission and purpose in the world, then we can communicate in as many media platforms and in as many different ways as we have available to us. But a meaningful message is not going to get across, um, particularly not going to get across to the right people. So I think that's sort of an aspect of this too, right, is narrowing in on who we are and what message uh, God has for us to communicate to the world. And also, I think that authenticity is key. So if you're communicating to a smaller group, 
if that group is, is very loyal and, and willing to engage and involved, that is to start with more valuable than reaching 150,000 people with an impression, I think, because, um, yeah, it just what you said, people have to be able to be attracted to what you're saying and want to engage and they have to see that you're sincere. I think, uh, there's so much media and marketing that people are just blasted with every day. Um, I hate, uh, and I say this to my husband all the time, you go to get gas, those gas stations that have the screens now with the really loud commercials right there. You're just thinking, really? I just want to get gas. Do I really want to watch the video commercial? So we are blasted in so many different ways with so many messages. We have to be very intentional with the way that we reach out to the people that we're trying to reach. Yeah. Good word. Well, what resources would you recommend to our listeners today? I think um, there were a couple of good books that uh, that I studied in the last couple of years. One of them is called Networked Theology by uh, Heidi Campbell and Stephen Garner. It's Negotiating Faith in a Digital Culture. Hmm. That was a really good book, and it had a lot of really great ideas. Um, there's another one uh, called God and Gadgets by Brad Kallenberg, uh, which was good. Uh, it's a little bit older but it really sort of made you think more about um, religion in a, in a technological age. There's also a newer book that's come out, uh, The Social Media Gospel by Meredith Gould. Hmm. Also really interesting uh, because it's, I think it's the realization that the church is going to have to adapt to remain relevant. Mm-hmm. I think that was the big message of the book, I think. I I remember uh, hearing my old minister when I was growing up, they used to say the message doesn't change, but the method has to change. So we're not changing our age old message, uh, but we do have to change the methods that we use uh, to get out there. I think that's a great word for all of us as pastors and church leaders and maybe a good spot to kind of wrap up the conversation. Thank you so much, uh, Marcy, for sharing your knowledge with us, uh, your experience with us, and for teaching Rhonda and myself something that we did not know. Thanks so much, Marcy. Terrific. And if anyone needs help, please reach out to Pinnacle. I mean, we're here to help. So uh, Rhonda, you know, with websites, or if they need, you know, if you need any advice about email marketing, definitely reach out to us. We're here for you. Building websites was a hobby turned uh, sort of professional uh, when I added, you know, when I started doing it for churches. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun to do. So thank you for that plug, Marcy. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so well, much that's, for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it for this episode of Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. You can find contact information for Rhonda, uh, for Marcy, for me, and for all of our Pinnacle Associates. Uh, as well as session notes for this episode at penlead.com. We've said it a few times today, but in case you missed it, that's P-I-N-N-L-E-A-D.com. And may God be with you as you seek to communicate the gospel inside, outside, and all sides. Thanks, Marcy. Thank you.